let's begin with our series back on the series of Acts. Well, we've taken the book of Acts, which is actually the second half of the Gospel of Luke. It begins after you know, Jesus rose again. And it takes us to the point where the kingdom of God has expanded throughout the entire known world. It's how the church began. And we've taken that, the book of Acts, and we've broken it up into three major sections, uh, sections, the parts, actually, we call it. So part one is just going to be chapters one through nine, which is what we're going through now. And uh, every week we're hitting a chapter, and as we go through the chapters, uh, we're really the focus about God's kingdom as it, begun, as it begins in this world. And every week, as we go through each of those chapters, we're going to be uh, reviewing the chapter. I'll give you a little summary. Then we're going to focus in on a couple of different passages that are in there, some highlight things to make sure we're focusing in. Then we're going to find some application. So that's what we're handling. That's the method. Uh, of course, before we do that, we always like to, uh, to have a memory verse every week. In this series, because I love you and I know you had a busy summer, we're just doing one memory verse for the entire series, and that is this, Acts 1.8. It says this, and you will receive power when... Uh, the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. So, good. Now, this is the Great Commission, right, where we get in Acts. We have also have a, another different part of the Great Commission we get in Matthew, Matthew 28.18. So hopefully you have that memorized as well. If not, I encourage you to read Scripture. But these are what we're supposed to be about, right? One is to make disciples and, and the process of making disciples. The other one is making disciples and also the strategy of making disciples. That's this. We're going to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Make sure that this week, if, if, to continue to take that, that uh, memory verse card, be thinking about this. Don't just memorize the words, but what are they, how do they apply to you? Because this is God's commission for us, for you. <laughs> and so we'll be talking about that today as each week we kind of come back to this and how this applies and how we bring about God's kingdom, be part of God's kingdom here on earth. So as we do that, why don't you take uh, your Bible, since you have them, and let's open them up to Acts chapter 4. If you have one of our Bibles, use one of those. It's going to be on page 760. If uh, you forgot your Bible or you need one, don't worry about it. We've got a bunch of them there in the, by the sound booth and the little uh, a bookshelf there. And if you need a Bible, just keep it. Our gift to you. And uh, as you open it there, um, give a little context here. In chapter 1, uh, we received that new mission, what we just memorized, right? Jesus gave us this new mission. And then... In chapter 2, we had Pentecost, and then we had received the Holy Spirit, this new spirit that comes, we have the, and how powerful that was, and we have a new community that comes with this. Last week, we then talked about this new message that we got. That is, the apostles, they go, John and Peter are walking to the temple and to have church, and as they're walking in, they heal this man who was, uh, who was not able to walk, and he had been there for many years, and they heal him. And they use that as an opportunity, this new message that they bring, which we call the gospel. And the new message is this, that here's life, that it's, it's about Jesus, not us. And that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And as he transforms us, we get to transform the world. What a great message that is. Well, the amazing thing was, is the apostles, they, they preached this message, and that was the background. And then um, what happens is, in the middle of the temple, there were a lot of people who were there listening to this because they see the miracle that absolutely that happened, and they were Jews that maybe ha- didn't understand how Jesus did uh, uh, raise from the dead. What did it all mean? And all of a sudden, it made sense to them. And so it says there in the beginning of chapter four that there was a great effect, right? That they were actually the church grew to about five thousand, which means that about two thousand people came to faith. That's pretty good. And so that was an amazing thing. But also, it wasn't just people that were there that were interested in hearing the message. There were also some that were there that were only just a little over a month earlier that the Sanhedrin and, and a lot of those, they, they decided to put Jesus to death. And that the, a lot of the people were, you know, were worshiping there at the temple were also those that were standing before Pilate yelling, crucify him, right? So there was a hostile environment as well. And so... There were some that were there that were represented the leadership, and they thought, this is not good. Here's a guy, he's, he, this Peter, he is uh, preaching Jesus, this message, and this is the guy that we had executed a little over a month ago. This makes us look bad. And so they are jealous that, that, there's, that the, the apostles have this great following that is growing rapidly, and they're upset about the message that, that they fear makes them look bad, and they get jealous, so what do they do? Well, they go down, and they gently arrest him. Right? They didn't want to use force because they were afraid the people would beat them up. So they gently arrest the apostles, and then they have this trial. And they bring the apostles before them, and they say, you know, by what authority are you doing these things? 
And the apostles say, well, I'll tell you what, uh, you can judge for yourself, <laughs> uh, but uh, it is by the name of Jesus, by the power of Jesus that you crucified that, that this man walks. And the Sanhedrin gets upset about this, and they, they're like, well, you can't, you can't be talking that way. And the apostles said, yeah, we can. Uh, we have to obey God, not you. And so they uh, get together, and they're like, well, we're going to kill these guys too, maybe. And then there was a wise individual named Gamaliel who was in there, and, and he tells the apostles to step out of the room for a little bit, and he gives them some wise counsel. And he says, listen, uh, this is not the first time we heard about people who follow, had followers, right? It's not the first time that somebody has come in Jerusalem to claiming to be the Messiah. There have been other groups that have been here before. So listen, if this is just from men, then it's going to fall apart anyway. We don't have to kill these guys. We don't have to make martyrs out of them. It'll just fall apart. But it really is from God. If Jesus really was the Messiah, then if we start persecuting these guys, then we are actually fighting against God. Good luck to us. And the rest of Sanhedrin saw the wisdom of this, so they called the apostles back in, and then they warned them sternly, don't you be talking about Jesus. And then the apostles, they let them go. Well, they beat them up a little bit first, and then they let them go. And after they let them go, they go back to their house or their, the place where the apostles were there and all the disciples and there was a lot of believers were there. And they get together and they pray. And here's the amazing thing. The church did not pray for retribution because the apostles just got beat up. They, they pray for boldness. And it says the Holy Spirit showed up and the place was shaken. And then all of a sudden that they were able to then go and proclaim the gospel even a bit more. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. And so the apostles or the uh, Sanhedrin told them, don't talk about Jesus. Instead, they talk about Jesus all the more. And the church and, and the faith continues to grow. So that's chapter 4 in a nutshell. Now, let's actually dig into some of the scriptures that we have there. And the first thing that we find as we get into chapter 1 is that we, we see here that the apostles, uh, Peter and John, were arrested and they were threatened. Okay. And so we find, first thing, is that you have this intimidation that comes to them this, by authority, right? So in verse 1, it says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking in the temple. These were guys that were not, uh, they were not weak. They had a lot of influence. They had a lot of power, right? These were the guys that were able to put Jesus to death and other people as well. Okay, so they had this authority, and they showed up, and I'm sure, I don't know if you've ever been talking to somebody, and then uh, somebody else comes in, and they don't like what you're saying, and they make their presence known. Has it ever happened? Sometimes when I'm preaching, and I'll say something, and I'll know that there's somebody in here that doesn't like at all what I'm saying, because they stare daggers right through my soul, like, right? Like if their eyes could become lasers, they would blow me up, right? I'm sure that the Pharisees, Sadducees, these people of great power and influence were there doing that. Because this is human nature. We're going to stand there like, mm-mm, right? And we're letting everybody else know by how we're looking at this. We, we do not approve of this, right? And because of their position, because of their authority, there was, that would have been a pretty intimidating thing. And so we find that we start out that the apostles have this intimidation that comes against them in the form of authority. And, uh, and that, for a lot of people, would, would scare them, would make people shut down. Right, And think about the apostles right after Jesus, well, actually during Jesus' trial, they didn't even need the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the captain, the temple guard, all those to be standing around. Right? Peter was just outside of where Jesus was being uh, held uh, and being tried, and he denied Jesus three times because of people saying, we think that you were with Jesus. They were terrified. All of a sudden now, they're able to proclaim in the middle of the temple without fear, even when you have this intimidation. Uh, these, uh, these authority figures that were standing there. And so I think when we read these sometimes, we, we read it's like just a fairy tale, like a story that maybe some author came up with this idea. These were real people. Now, this is a real story. Peter and John, real guys, fishermen that had their lives transformed by Jesus, were standing, and you can imagine, these were real officials that were standing there. And it says that... Uh, in verse 2, these guys had a lot of authority. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching people, proclaiming Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They weren't mad at Peter or John that they healed this guy. They were mad because of the gospel. That's exactly why they were upset. It made them look bad. And so it says that they seized him, verse 3, Peter and John, uh, because it was evening, but they put them in jail till the next day. These guys did nothing more than proclaim the Messiah. That's all they did. And they were 
And so they were thrown in jail. So they had power come against them. The second thing we see they had come against them, verse 5 and 6, is you have intimidation also comes through, um, not just through authority, but through power itself. Verse 5, it says, The next day the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. Okay, so now it wasn't just the captain of the guard and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't just authority. It wasn't just the police showing up. It was now it was the bigwigs. These were the, the, the biggest, most powerful people who, uh, under Ananias and Caiaphas, they executed Jesus. Now, these were the ones who had the authority to make something. And so now it became a huge spectacle. And you have now power standing against the apostles, these two men who were fishermen, who had no, not even enough money to give a, a, a guy who couldn't walk money. And so they healed him. But you have this this power uh, dichotomy, right? This, you have some that are so powerful against these apostles who really um, are followers of a guy who whom was just crucified a month earlier. And so the intimidation would have been there to say, we have the power, and I imagine the, the thought was, we bring this big spectacle up and we're going to scare these guys. We're going to remind them, hey, what happened to Jesus, right? Because the high priest and all that knew they had killed Jesus, and to say, we're going to shut you up. We're going to make you silent because of look at, <laughs> look at who we've brought. And they brought the biggest guns they could get. And finally, we find that then there was intimidation by conflict. And as we go to that next verse, verse 7, it says, They had Peter and John brought before them, began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? They say, you simpletons, what gives you the right to do miracles here in the temple? Right? This is our space. We're the authorities. We have the power here. We're, this is our space. Who gave you the right to do these things? To, to, has everybody ever gone and testified in court on behalf of somebody? It is a scary thing because uh, you have to tell just what you saw, and then you have somebody else. Another lawyer's job is to make you look like an idiot, right? And no matter how smart you are, they craft their words in such a way to make you look stupid, Right? And, and you have these apostles that are there testifying about Jesus, knowing that you have Ivy League trained experts there to make you look foolish and to say, what are you doing? There is conflict to challenge them at every single point, to, to put a different spin on their words, to basically try to, 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 uh, to tie their words into a knot <laughs> and to make them look foolish. This is what they were facing. And so we find that the apostles then, they respond in a different way than anybody expected them to. Because most people and the apostles themselves show that they had the character up until that point to run away, right? And when they had power and authority and, and conflict came against them, like anybody else, they said, we are outmanned, outgunned, we are retreating, right? That's what most people do. When you find this intimidation coming from authority and power and conflict coming against you, the natural response of humans is to shell up and to say, okay, that's it, I'll, I'll be quiet, I'll be quiet. But this is not how the apostles respond. Something different had changed in that previous month since Jesus was crucified. And that something was very significant because Jesus, who they crucified, then came back to life and proved he had more power than them. He gave them a new commission. He gave them a new message. He gave them a new mission. He gave them a new spirit. Something enormous had transpired. And so the apostles are now different people. And they respond differently than the world expected them to, than the Sanhedrin expected them to. Look at their response is, is verse 8. Let me see here. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. He's like, I'm sorry. No, it's not what he said. He says, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked by how he was helped, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. That does not sound like a coward to me. In their face saying, yeah, that Jesus whom you said crucified, God raised him up. And if you want to know how this happened, it was him. And you can try to shut it down. That's pretty bold. 
right there, face to face, with the people who accused Jesus. They said to them, straight face, Peter looked at them right in the eye and said, it was Jesus. And I'm not ashamed and I'm not afraid to say it. And you can see the evidence right here. That's bold. That is bold. I love this. This is a, that Peter says, you know what? You try to intimidate me with power, I operate on a higher authority. So don't bring your little captain of the guard and try to intimidate me with that. I have God Almighty. I have the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has given me authority here today. That's how he begins. There is a different kingdom that Peter is now a part of. And there are different rules that apply to this kingdom. And there's a different level of boldness that comes with it. And then Peter doesn't just point to the higher authority, that it is Jesus whom God has appointed. But then he points to the power. The power allows him to do this. Let's look there, verse 9. It says here, it says, If we are being called to account today for the kindness shown this man, how he was healed, then it's the power of Jesus. Look at that. He doesn't point to himself. See, the people of this world, the message of this world is look at me, how powerful and how good I am. This is the way the world operates. This is why so many people mess up religion. They think it's how good I am, how much power I have depends on how I'm going to make an impact in this world. But Peter doesn't point that way. Remember, he's got a new message, and it's about Jesus. It's not about him. He says, where does the power come from? It's not because I'm a great guy. It's because Jesus Christ is real. He is God, and he is powerful. So he says to them, you try to intimidate me with your power, with all these fancy names and titles that you have. But have any of you been able to heal this man who's been sitting outside your house for all of these years? Oh, I don't think so. But God has real power. He transforms real lives, as you can see right here. The kingdom of God operates on a different kind of power than the world. And it gives us a different kind of boldness. And then he responds to their intimidation in verses 18 through 20. You can read about how then he goes through and basically uh, reminds them of the failure that they had in crucifying Jesus and maybe the the folly of, of standing against him. But in verse 18 through 20, we have, uh, he says, Then they called them to speak again uh, and commanded. Uh, this is after we had uh, uh, a discussion amongst them. Basically saying, uh, Gamaliel steps up and says, well, maybe, maybe we shouldn't stand against God if it's, if it's really God or whatever. And it says, then they called um, them together and they commanded him not to speak or to teach in the name of God's eyes. For us to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. Right? Intimidation. Right? The world try to intimidate you. Be quiet or bad things are going to happen. And Peter says, wait, wait, wait. I'm part of a different kingdom now, fellas. You're telling me to do something that God's telling me not to. You make the decision whom I'm supposed to follow here. Who's got the bigger fists, right? Who's got more power? Am I going to follow you or want to follow God? See, Peter was not intimidated because he was following God had a higher authority and a greater power. And he says, I'm not intimidated. And he throws it right back at him. He says, you be the judges. And they don't have an answer to, for him. And so what do they do? What the world does is they try beating him up and throwing him out. Don't you talk about Jesus. <laughs> but they're like, no, I have the authority, the power, and I've been given the commission. I'm not intimidated. And so what do they do? Well, they go back to the, the church. And the church then, after the apostles preach boldly and proclaim boldly and step up and say, we're not intimidated, the church begins to pray boldly. Verse 23, it says here, it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to, the, um, to their own people and, res- and reported to them all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, now here is the beginning. I imagine the Christians who heard that the, the Peter and John were being questioned by the high priest, one, would have been like, are we afraid? Right, because he, these guys have a lot of authority and power. The second thing they could have been is they could have been angry. Isn't that way for people? Like if somebody, you know, says something mean about your mom or something like that, then you, all of a sudden you hate them? Right? Somebody you care about, you're like, that's my friend. Right? We're, we're going to pray against you. We're going to curse these guys. They're standing against the apostles. They stood against Jesus. Right? They are our enemies. Is that how they pray? They heard everything that had happened. But look at how the church responds. Totally different. So when they heard about this, um, when they, they started praying on here, uh, it says, 
It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together and praying to God. And this is what they said. Sovereign Lord, they said. Start there. God, you have the authority and the power. You're sovereign. This, right? You have the right. This is your jurisdiction, God. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You own it all, God. We're going to recognize that right now, which means you own us, right? It says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant and, uh, and your servant, our father David. And this is what the quotes the psalm. It says, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? And the kings of the earth rise up and the rule. Uh, they see Christ in Scripture and he said, this has been prophesied. You've already known about this, God. You see how futile it is. And then they give a little history lesson back to God as they remind themselves of his might. And they said, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's the request. Not, God, you made everything. You knew these people were going to reject you. Now bring down the fire from heaven and burn them up. It was this, God, we're a little afraid, all right? They have power. You knew this. Everything belongs to you, but they're scary. So let us not be intimidated or help us to not be intimidated because you're worthy and you are powerful. Let us trust the kingdom that we have been called to. That's their prayer. God, let us be bold. Let, let us stand up to this and not cower. Because the temptation of all people is to take care of me. But it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so they pray for boldness. What wisdom? That's where they begin. And so they appeal for boldness. And so they boldly respond, I think, to persecution. And how do they do that? Well, they praise God. That's how they begin. They say, God, you are sovereign. You already knew this was going to happen. They didn't say, God, why did this happen? Save us from these, these horrible people. Said, God, give us the strength to stand up. Give us the strength to speak up. Work in us. Your kingdom is worth it, and you are too. And they appealed to God's authority. You made it all. You own it all. We are not outside of jurisdiction. Now, remember this, that God had set up the Sanhedrin as his, well, he set up the religious system as his, how he was going to operate in this world. That was his authorized system. And now those same people, the high priest says, do not speak about this. If something hadn't changed, as good Jews, they would have had to not speak about it, to just follow the authority. But now a greater authority has said, speak. And they say, give us, the, we're appealing to your authority, God. We're, we're going to work actively, absolutely against what the high priest just told us to do. We can't do that unless you have given us the authority to do this. They appeal to his authority. And then they request God's power. Give us your boldness, God. Help us not to be intimidated. In fact, in verse 29, 30, it says, Now, Lord, consider out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through your name of your Holy Spirit. They're saying, God, show up. We'll speak, but you need to show up too. We're asking you to be here, that you're going to back this up, that this is your kingdom. Be with us. They're appealing to God in his and they boldly request God's power. Now think about that. It's a big deal to be able to say, God, we want something from you. What gives you and me, sinful people, and these apostles who had denied Jesus the right to ask anything of God? That's pretty bold. But God said, we're going to go, we're going to stand up for you, but we're going to ask that you also show up. Well, there was a change. The apostles were forgiven. Jesus showed up, said, it's been forgiven. This is right, that you are saved by God's grace through faith. And that's why that new message is so important. You are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Their status with God had changed entirely. They were no longer enemies of God. They were no longer strangers to God. They were no longer just the ones who had, who had abandoned the Messiah. They were saved. That God has called them their children. He said, you are my apostles. I'm gonna, you're going to be the forerunners. You're going to take the faith from here in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Which gave them a different kind of relationship with God Almighty, and which gave them the ability to ask Him something like this. Please show up. We'll go out. We'll speak. Help us be bold. But please show up. And they invite God in his power. 
So the apostles respond boldly, they pray boldly, and then the church then continues to live boldly. Verse 31 we find that the church starts out by being just bold in his testimony. You see, the, the, when the Sanhedrin had this big media spectacle, and they bring the apostles in, the high priest shows up, and everybody shows up, right? Now, there's going to be an intimidation factor in the temple, right? Remember, the apostles and, the, and people were meeting in the temple every day in each other's homes and all that kind of stuff? Well, now, it would have been easy for the church to say, I don't want to, to be under that kind of spotlight. I don't want to face this kind of persecution. It's going to cost me something now. And that... And they might say, well, for the apostles, maybe they're strong and bold, but for the church, can the church be bold? Can the church stand up when, when persecution comes in the form of authority and power and, and conflict? And we find, yes, it does. And see, first we find the Holy Spirit showed up, the place, place was shaken, and then the church, it says this, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All of them, not just the apostles. You see, the faith isn't just being, it's, it's not about, are you a super Christian? Can God use you as a super Christian? He didn't just use the apostles. Every single one was a light. Every one of them was infinitely powerful because the infinite power of God was in them and working through them, which is amazing. And so all of them were bold, and it wasn't just that they testified boldly. It's not like they just avoided the temple. No, they began to proclaim the gospel even more, more forcefully, more loudly, with more love. And it says, verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that they had any of their possessions that was their own. They shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the grace of God was so powerfully at work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, uh, to, from time to time, uh, they those who owned land or houses sold them, and brought the money and laid the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is amazing. It so profoundly changed them. This boldness. It wasn't just that they talked about Jesus; they lived the gospel out. Jesus said, "The world will know you're." truly my disciples, by how you love one another. And there was this change amongst them. You'll notice that when they prayed and there was this shaking, that it wasn't that they all got pitchforks and, and, and all that kind of stuff and they stormed the, the temple and said, you guys are teaching lies. That's not how it worked. The place was shaken and they were transformed. And what they were bold to do was not just to have, uh, to have this bold message. They had a bold testimony that they were changed. All of a sudden, their priorities shifted from their own kingdoms, whatever they owned in their own lives, to the real kingdom, the kingdom of God. And they said, you know what? God, you own everything, which means you own me and everything I own. And this is your kingdom. And if there's a person in this kingdom, they're my brother or sister, and I will love them. That's what it means. And it said the word of God, the, the spirit of God was so at work amongst them, not that they became invincible warriors, but that all of a sudden it said there was no needy people amongst them. And I will tell you, it is harder to love somebody who is just needy all the time than it is probably to go on a, a military campaign. But that's why the word of God was so powerful. That's why it's a miracle when Christians love one another, so that way it shows the world that we're really his disciples. It is not natural for us to care for other people. Especially at this level. They had a boldness in their testimony. How they lived. Their lives were demonstrating there was a change within them. And they lived it boldly. It is a bold thing to take family property and sell it so you can give the money to help somebody else who's struggling just because they share the same faith as you. That's a pretty bold move. That's a huge move. But they started living that way. It said, you know what, God? It's all about you. It's not about me. I am all in. And I'm going to care for other people. And I'm going to stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ no matter what. That is a bold faith. God, I'm trusting you to meet my needs. And if you've given me something, God, then it's for your kingdom. It's for your glory. There's a new kingdom that has come. And they got it. And God worked. And so the church was bold in their love. They're able to love in a way that does not make sense to the world. It just doesn't make sense. In fact, I think it's amazing that even today, most hospitals are still were started and operated by Christians throughout the globe. Most charities started operated by Christians. Most orphanages started operated by Christians. Right? There's a reason that Crossroads Ministry here in Estes Park started operated by Christians. There's a reason for that. Because we know that God has got us. And this is His kingdom. 
and we get to be part of it. And everything that I am and all that I have is part of that kingdom, and I get to live boldly. And I don't have to worry about live my life like everybody else in this world who's terrified about losing the little bit that they have that they really can't keep anyway. You say, God, you've given me eternity. You've given me life, and you will, you will provide for me today. Whatever it is, I trust him. I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I know that God's got me so I can live a different way. I can love a different way, and my testimony and my faith and my love will be so different than the world. I don't have to be afraid. This is what they have. It's a new kind of boldness. It's a way of living we find in the apostles' lives that says we refuse fear. We reject intimidation. We're going to live a different way. So how do we apply this? Well, I'll tell you, the first thing we understand is the world is threatened by Jesus, isn't it? This is a threatening thing. The world will tell you that, that you, cannot, you cannot give everything to Jesus. It does not make sense. You can't just live your life. You can't just say it's about the kingdom. They'll say, what about you? They don't understand. They're not part of the kingdom yet. Right? This world does not get it. When we say that the word of God is actually the word of God, it is a moral compass for it. It is a light for our feet, right? It tells us what is right from wrong. And it differs from what I naturally would think is right and wrong. That's the problem with me. They will say, how can you live such a narrow-minded way? While they go and live these crazy lives that fall apart. When we understand that God has not just said, well, this is because I'm being narrow-minded. He said, here's actually how to live a healthy life. Here's the way. We understand that it is freedom, it is not bondage. That he transforms and from, you know, use all these laws to, to, to change our lives, to, to make sure that we're, we're kept inside of these rules and regulations so we don't act depraved. No, the scripture helps change us from the inside. We understand this. There's a different kind of life that we have. And the world doesn't get it. And they'll say, you can't follow God, that's old-fashioned. I say, yeah, it came right from the beginning, right? It's been true forever, and we get to follow these things as well. It's intimidated by that. It doesn't understand it. So how does the world respond to faith? The same way the, the apostles found that the world responded to Jesus way back when. It tries to intimidate Christians, doesn't it? And how does it intimidate Christians? What will the world do? How does the world, how does the world respond to being threatened by the gospel? Well, with authority. Isn't it oftentimes, that if, whether it's religious authorities or legal authorities or, or whatever, that we have authority comes against Christians throughout history over and over and over again saying, don't you dare worship Jesus. Don't you dare talk about Jesus. Don't you dare live that kind of life. We will make it illegal for you to be able to follow him the way that you should. This is not new. This is happening all over the world and has been happening throughout history. Do not be intimidated. There is a higher authority than which we follow. That's okay. And we can be bold with that. How does the world also come with the power? It's not the first time the media has been against Jesus. It's been against Jesus since the beginning. It's not the first time that you have culture saying to God, you know what, your ways are not popular. We don't like your ways. We're going to try to, we're gonna try to bully Christians into not acting like Christians. It's not the first time. It happened to the apostles. It's been happening throughout time. It's happening throughout the entire world today. Power is being used against the faith. That's just the way it is. The world is intimidated by Jesus. Don't be intimidated. We have greater power in you. In you. The power of God at work. The world can throw all the power they want to, all of the media, all of the threats, all of the things that they want to, as much persecution as they can handle. But we don't have to be intimidated because God owns this world and he owns us. The world also responds with conflict, doesn't it? How often is I we this year decided to homeschool our son because at school he was facing such difficulty amongst his friends and things like this because he happened to be a pastor's kid. He started to shut down. Because he was facing a system that was very difficult for him. Now, we were training him to be a light, to love people that don't love him back. So we're taking a time out to be able to build him up. So in school, and our teachers that are in school, we need to be praying for them. Because they are lights in a, in a place that needs light. Right? 
And there is conflict that they often get. People challenge them with intellectual arguments or with bullying, basically saying, well, you're a Christian. How, do you, how close-minded are you? You can't absolutely believe in that fairy tale spaghetti monster, right? All of these things that my son got over and over again every day. Or say, this is not the time or the place to talk about your, your faith. Here's what we want you to believe. It's hard. We pray for our students. We pray for our teachers. We want lights to be there. But I'll tell you, the world, it uses conflict, doesn't it? And it uses conflict like it'll use court cases to try to make Christians say, you can't do these things. You've got to be silent. You can't live boldly in your faith. And there, I'll tell you what, it tries to intimidate us. And we have to recognize that that's not the way that we live. But I'll say this, we do not be afraid. That's the answer. Expect the conflict. Expect the persecution. Expect it. Why? Because, it, for starters, it's not that there's bad people out there that are just trying to destroy the faith. It's in, they're intimidated. Why? Because the real enemy are never people. It's the prince of this world. It says in Scripture that Satan is the prince of this world. God is not joking about that. Scripture is not pretending that somehow he's... No, he is the prince of this world. There is a time that God has given, for whatever reason, the enemy some level of authority here. And he has some authority. So don't expect it. The enemy is intimidated by Jesus because Jesus came to overthrow him, to destroy the works of darkness. So when we face these things, we don't get mad at the other people. We don't get afraid at what they're doing. They're temporary inconveniences in light of what God is doing. But also, don't be dismayed. When life gets a little difficult, when persecution comes, when faith gets hard, when there is power and authority and conflict come against you, do not back off. Remember what Jesus said in, in John 16. He says this, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. But it's not just that you may have peace. What does it say? That in me you may have peace. Look at that. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. But take heart. I have overcome the world. It's not even a battle, it's even, it's, it's done. He's already won. You're on the winning side. That gives you a little more boldness, doesn't it? I tell you, sometimes when we play, uh, well, I coach football, it's sometimes when we are like really ahead. I mean, really ahead. Game's in the bag. It's fourth quarter, you're up by three touchdowns. We're so bold, we'll put in practice. Why can we do that? Game's done. Right? We got it. You see, here, think we are able to live a different kind of life without fear. We're not afraid because you know the outcome is already a settled thing. It's the same thing in our life. We can risk stuff that the rest of the world cannot risk because for them, this is, it's everything about this life today, about how long they can survive and how comfortably they can survive this time in this life. We get to live for something bigger. And there's a kingdom, there's a message that that, that gift is for them too if they would like it. We don't have to be afraid. There's a peace that we have in this world. Jesus said, yeah, you're going to face persecution. When you face persecution, it's not a sign that God has abandoned you. It's a sign that the world is coming against you, but the world is defeated. So take heart. Remember this. Jesus has overcome the world. I want you to think about that memory verse. Jesus said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in on you. And that you will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As far as I can tell, Jesus owns it all. He's got jurisdiction everywhere. He's basically, he's already foretold it. We conquer. We win. The faith would not be stopped in Jerusalem. It will not be shut down in Judea and Samaria. It will go to the ends of the earth. It reaches everybody. It cannot be stopped. You are part of the church. And so, we recognize that we also have this, but that boldness recognizes you have to be bold in your testimony. Just like the early church, we pray for boldness, right? We ask God to come and to help us, and then we live that testimony. You have been authorized by God. You, individually, have been authorized by God to share your faith in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As far as I could tell, there was a believer on Mars you were probably authorized there to share your faith. God owns it. And he said, you, Christian, wherever you are, you can be a Christian, and you can live out your faith boldly, without being afraid and without fear and without shame. There was a different authority that you have. You've been authorized by God to share your faith. He's told in Matthew 28, he says, make disciples. 
How am I supposed to do that? Go to all people. You have been authorized to go to anybody. There is nobody that's on God's blacklist that says don't go to them. There's no one that God says, well, I don't have the authority to send you there. God says go there. Geographically to the ends of the earth and then also socially to any human you can be a witness to. That means that those who stand most boldly against the faith, even today, we have been authorized to share the gospel with them. That means the people that are the most depraved in this world today, we've been authorized to share the gospel to them. And if we can reach those at the furthest from God, then certainly we can reach everybody in between, can't we? And your testimony is powerful. It tells us, God tells us in, in Revelation, it says that, that the enemy is going to be defeated, and this is how he is defeated, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Your testimony is powerful. Your testimony is God at work in you, in your life. You are the biggest authority in the world on how God is transforming you. Your testimony is powerful. You don't need my testimony. You need your testimony. You need to testify it. Be bold. Look at how God is transforming you in your life today. This is what your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers all need to see. That's why God has positioned you where he's positioned you. He's perfectly, strategically, God is, you are not a mistake. God knows you, and he knows how he's gifted you, and he knows your testimony. No Christian has a weak testimony. Whether you are brought up in the faith or you had a transformation somehow later in life, your testimony is the perfect testimony of exactly where God has put you. For your family, and for your neighbors, and for your co-workers, and for the people that you live around, your testimony is more powerful than anything else because God is at work within it. So be bold with it. Don't let the enemy intimidate you. Say, you've got a weak testimony, or don't you dare talk about Jesus. No, be bold. Share how God is at work in your life. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. In Luke 12, Jesus says, When you are being brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. He's talking to the apostles. He says, listen, you're going to be afraid. You're just simple fishermen. And you're going to go up against these Ivy League people that are perfectly trained. Do not be afraid. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, and He is going to answer exactly how He needs to answer. Well, I'll tell you what, that same Holy Spirit is, guess what? In every Christian. The power of the Holy Spirit to have a powerful testimony is in every believer, which is why I think sometimes we're so afraid. I can't testify because I don't know what I'm going to say. What if I mess it up? I will tell you this. Trust God and the Holy Spirit. He put you there. You think through all the millennia, God has planned everything out so that you could exist and have this, this one opportunity so that you can just blow it? That he's not going to tell you what to do. That he's going to make sure you're unprepared. That's not how God works. Trust him. Be bold. The Holy Spirit is with you. We also have to recognize this. We've got to be bold in our faith, right? We have this, our faith is not something that is supposed to be put under a basket. It's not as though we have the light of Christ and we're like, but we're, it offends the world. So we'll just kind of hide it here. Of course it offends the world. The world is run by the enemy. A world is run by a system that destroys people. I want to offend the world in the right way. I want to offend the world by how I love, by how I... I want my testimony to be offensive to this world that it just doesn't get it, right? That means my faith. I've got to trust God. In order to forgive, I've got to really trust that God wants me to forgive because I've truly been forgiven. If I'm going to be generous... I'd rather trust that God is true to his word. He says he will take care of me so long as I'm seeking him and his kingdom, his righteousness, right? I could actually then live for his kingdom, his righteousness. That's an act of faith. That's where, that's where generosity comes from. Understand that our faith has is, is, is got to be more than just words. It's got to be more than just a couple hours on Sunday. It's got to be everything we are because God owns everything. That his kingdom is bigger than this world. Bold in faith, recognize that God is with you. That is not just happy thoughts. That is the, a present reality. And that God is powerful. He did create the heavens and the earth, and he is creating a saint out of you. Miracle of miracles. He is at work today. God is at work now, here. Believe it and live like it. Romans 8, look at this. This is a powerful passage for us. It's that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is an amazing thing. God is at work. All things. That includes your life. That includes whatever you're having, facing today. God is at work. 
This is your testimony. This is the transformation of God's life within you. If you are facing trial or difficulty right now, God is doing something. If you are giving a chance to have rest and peace, God is at work right now. He's working all things together for, for the good. And who's good? Of those who love him. So love him. That's why the apostles were able to praise God in the midst of persecution. Say, so God, you're at work in this. We praise you. Next week, we have to look at how they even praise him after even worse beating. They said, thank you for giving the honor of suffering for you. That seems crazy to this world. But we know that we're part of the kingdom. And so we can pray for boldness and we can pray in boldness. We don't ask God, hey, God, please, please, would you might give us a, a, a chance of, of maybe changing the heart of our nation or of our people. Mm-mm. Say, God, this is your place. You have created it all. You love my neighbors more than I do. You love my family more than I do. Give me words, give me testimony, give me boldness to bring your kingdom, your kingdom of light into this community. You have declared it beforehand that your gospel be preached to every corner of this globe, which includes Estes Park. We begin praying in boldness and trusting God's at work. Don't be praying that God, maybe you might use me. Say, God, use me however you I think another way that we apply this is that we understand that we've got to be bold in our love. I think oftentimes Christians do things, and, and people, actually all religions, people do things that are bold, but they're not loving. And that actually is a very ugly thing for God. He is the God of love. How does he work? He took people that were his abject enemies, and he prayed for them. Father, uh, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He says, and anybody who comes to me will be saved, right? <laughs> I mean, God is a loving God. He gives us exactly what we need, not what we want, but what we need. And we have to have this kind of love that is the kind of love that empowers us to forgive people who don't deserve it because we didn't deserve it. To meet people's needs when they can't pay us back because God met our needs in a way we'll never be able to pay back. We have to be able to love one another as Christians because we are part of the same kingdom and the same family of faith. There is a different kind of way. Our love has got to be bold. It's got to be a faith that it comes from the inside out. So we embrace community. We say as brothers and sisters that we're more than just a congregation that meets on Sunday, but we are brothers and sisters of faith, which means I got to get to know you. We've got to embrace compassion. To say, if you are hurting, then I'm hurting too, and, and actually begin acting on that until we actually feel it, right? But we have to embrace service, seeing the needs in our community and say, it's not about I'm going to have to sacrifice my own time, saying it's never been my time. God's given me everything, including my time, and I'm serving God. There's opportunity now to serve him, to care for other people. We have to embrace generosity. That's one of the biggest things in this world. What do most people think about? How they're going to get their needs met. Finances. Finances occupy the minds and the hearts of most people, what Jesus said. One of the greatest testimonies you can have is to live a life of generosity, saying, God, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to give like you tell me to give, not just to the church, but in my life. I'm going to have a life and understanding that, God, you own it all. Embrace it, because God will meet your needs. He cares for you, and he's giving you opportunities to be bold in that, so that he could be working amongst us so boldly that the world takes notice. So today we've got a couple of things that we've talked about, how to, a, a new boldness that we find in faith. This is a gift to you. Do you understand that we don't have to live like cowards that hide under rocks anymore? The power of God is in you, working through you, transforming the world around you. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Christ and his kingdom. And we get to live for that. Refuse living a, a life that is marked by fear. What are some next steps? How do you walk into that boldness? I've got some next steps for you. If you can't think any around, the Holy Spirit hasn't, hasn't said this is how to respond it. Take out your connection card, please, on the back side. There are some next steps that you... Acts 1-8. Try to find in Acts 1-8 this week anywhere where it tells you where you cannot go. Is there anywhere that's excluded that God says you don't have my authority to operate in? Because as far as I read, it says you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And find in there what we are authorized to do, to be his witnesses. You get to testify how awesome God is, how he's transformed your life. Maybe you begin here today. This is where the boldness begins, as you reminded that you are under God's jurisdiction. You have the highest authority. You are working under the greatest power, that there is, he's overcome the conflict and has brought peace, that you do not need to be intimidated. Maybe this is where you begin. Don't just memorize it, but let it be a reminder to you of the power and the truth that you don't have to be afraid. Or maybe what you want to do on this is you want to write your testimony. 
Maybe that's what you need to do. I invited some folks to do that last week. To say, this is your testimony. How is God working in your life? This is not just, this is how I came to faith. This is how God is transforming me. How have you seen God in your life working? Write it down. And if you want to, send it in. I would love to read those. I'll even help you make them more concise so you can share them with other people if you want. But I would say, maybe this week's where you begin. Be bold. Trust God your testimony. How about this? Maybe you're going to pray for three. What do I mean by that? We have a, a, a tool for you. If some, I know some of you have already have been doing this so far, but it's in the seat front in front of you. If you want to take one of these, it's a card. It says, I will invite and invest in. These are three names of people that you know who don't know Jesus yet. Pray in boldness. God, prepare their heart for the gospel. Lord, prepare me to share the gospel. Right? Or somebody else. If it's somebody else in their life, prepare it so that way they hear it. Pray for their faith. Right? Pray for boldness when this opportunity comes, that you will be brave and that you'll have the right words, that he'll work within you. And on the back side, there's, the, there's a, a, some um, str- um, scripture there that can help you lead somebody to faith, what the scripture says about what does it mean to become a Christian. Maybe that's what you say. For the rest of this series, I'm going to be praying for three people, and I would encourage you just until they come to faith, praying boldly for them. Or maybe you're going to say, I'm going to be bold in generosity. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you've been living your life with hands clenched. It's hard to receive all the stuff that God has for you if you're always just gripping on to the few things he's already given you. Maybe you say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. Maybe for you, that's starting by, by giving or tithing. Maybe for you, then that's starting by, maybe you're already there saying, God, you know what, I'm going to stop thinking about what is just for me. And you actually start living with generosity in your life. Or maybe what you do here is, is maybe there's something else that the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. I'll ask you to write that down because I will pray for you. I'm going to support you as your pastor of work in your life. So please make your commitments. If you have a prayer request, write them down now. If there's another commitment you make, please let us know. And uh, then here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we do, please uh, take these connection cards, drop them in the offering baskets as they're passed. First, let's pray for our offering and and for our commitments, and we'll have the worship team uh, close us with uh, some worship. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the privilege of serving you. Father, we recognize this world is scary and it tries to intimidate us at times, but Lord, help us to be bold, just like the apostles prayed. Let us be bold in faith, not intimidated, Father, but I pray in our boldness, may we be bold in the right things. May we be bold, Father, in, in our trust in you, our faith. May we be bold, and, and Father, in our witness, in our love for other people. God, help us, transform us. May our testimony be effective Father, I pray, too, that uh, for this community, that you would prepare the hearts of those we live around to receive the freedom and forgiveness in Christ. And, Father, as you provide opportunities for us, help us to not run away from those, to not be intimidated. But, Father, use the testimony of how you've transformed our lives to open up uh, hearts and provide a pathway for people back to you, that they would see that salvation is by by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would take these commitments that we've made today. Help us to keep them as we take steps, as we follow you. May they not be religious acts, but Father, instead, may they just be uh, steps that we get to take that, that bring us closer to your heart. May we meet you there. Lord, we pray too, Father, for, uh, for our tithes and our gifts. Lord, we want to be people of generosity. We want to be people that trust you with our entire lives. Help us to give in a way that is a testimony to our faith. And Lord, may you use these gifts to build your kingdom here in Estes, that you would receive glory. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.